James 3 is where we'll be in our Bibles this morning. James has a lot to say in uh, five short chapters. I believe there's 85 verses uh, in the book of James. And the chapter that we are dealing with is the very center chapter of the book, James 3. And um, where most of us struggle the most. All we have to do is let someone talk and talk and talk. And before we know it, they have stumbled. If I stayed up here longer than I should, there's a very good chance uh, I could, if I'm not well prepared, that I'll say things that I shouldn't say. And as a pastor, as a teacher, I have said a lot of things over the years that I shouldn't have said. I've gone to people individually, and sometimes I've got up the next Sunday and said, you know what, I said last Sunday, I shouldn't have said that, and this is why I shouldn't have said that. Um, And none of us are above uh, letting things out of our mouths that we shouldn't say. Because all of us, as, as much as we try to tighten our lips, all of us have loose lips. It's like a screw that is stripped out that you can't get tightened, or it's like something, a board on a dock or a board in your house or something, a a nut or a bolt that you just cannot get tightened because it won't tighten, and God knows that we have all have loose lips, and God knows that because of our sinfulness, sometimes our lips get even looser, um, and we all struggle to control our loose lips. So we're going to see today, uh, James turns the corner for us, and we have some negative, which is why I chose the same title for today. But verse 13 is very positive, and that's the verse that's in the bulletin, and we'll end with that today because there is a solution to loose lips. And it's not uh, self-help books, and it's not just not talking, although sometimes as a parent or teacher you'd say, okay, let's play the quiet game. Okay, The quiet game is good for a while, but it doesn't solve the problem of loose lips. We still have loose lips whenever the quiet game is over. Okay, And we can't live our whole life playing the quiet game. Uh, right now in our service, we expected everyone to sing. And we're not, we didn't expect you to all play the quiet game while we're singing. Now maybe during the offering, okay, and while we're praying at the beginning of the service, okay, and while I'm praying... While I'm preaching, you can play the quiet game. (laughs) But when it's time to sing, you should be singing. As we go into fellowship after this, you should be fellowshipping. You should be talking to someone and listening and talking and listening. And it's not the time to, to be quiet. Whenever you have opportunities this week to share the gospel, it's not the time to play the quiet game. Or I don't know what to say. Um, what we need to spend time with our God so that our heart is full of the knowledge of God. So what comes out of our mouth comes from our heart. Doesn't the Old Testament tell us that? Out of the abundance of the, um, out of the, abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The mouth is just an overflow of what we've put into our heart. If you're a very fearful person, when you talk, fear is going to come out of your mouth. If you're a very anxious person, whenever you talk, anxiety is going to come out of your mouth. If you're very nervous, nervousness is going to come out. You've probably seen people up in front and when I first started preaching, I was the most nervous person ever. And uh, repeating things and, and being awkward uh, in front of people. And you may say, I'd never stand in front of people uh, because of nervousness. Um, but whatever's in our heart, 
Uh, if there's pride in our heart, it's going to come out of our lips because our lips are loose. We have a hard time controlling our mouths. So let's look at James 3. We're still at five verses today, verses 9 uh, to 13. We have seen already some of the comparisons, and uh, you knew we were going to be in James 3 today. So you could have, uh, uh, let's try to remember what we have uh, studied from James 3 up to this point that uh, we had, I think I have on my next slide. Um, I didn't show you the slides last week, so if you didn't get the notes, that's okay. Uh, but this, I tweaked the notes a little bit to make them uh, parallel to today's message as well. So tongue control is important. And there's the warning about teachers, and there's a warning about being judged in verse 1. And then a warning that we all stumble, okay? So we have to control our tongue, but we all stumble in this, and so controlling our tongue is important. Controlling our tongue is impossible, though. Just like we can't sometimes control uh, horses um, that are large, and sometimes they uh, reject the bridle or the bit that we put in their mouth. Sometimes a rudder doesn't work to control a ship. Sometimes a fire gets out of control, and it just starts with a very small thing. So is the tongue. It is impossible to control. That's what we see there, and it's full of deadly poison. The end of verse 8 says that. Verse 8 says, but no human being can tame the tongue. Okay, so it's impossible to control the tongue. It is a restless evil. So it's evil and it's loose. That's why we chose the word loose lips there. And it's full of deadly poison. So it's destructive. But, uh, and then verse 9 uh, through 13, to, uh, 9 through 12 today, tongue control is inconsistent. And we'll see what uh, James teaches us about that in those four verses. And then we'll close uh, with the hope at the end of, uh, of James 3, and we'll, we'll just finish with verse 13 and then compare worldly wisdom and godly wisdom next week from verses 14 to 18, uh, Lord willing. And so tongue control uh, requires God's wisdom, also God's strength. Okay, so we're seeing it's important, it's impossible, it's inconsistent. So we can get fatalistic after the end of verse 12 and say, so what's the use in trying? Like we all have struggled with our tongues. So why do I even have to control my tongue? I'm just going to say what I want to say. And if you watch ungodly people as they get older, they do that. Because when you're 80, 85, 90, you can get away with in our culture saying whatever you want to say. But that's not godly. And it's not helpful. And it doesn't, God's not using your tongue. He may be using your life in spite of your tongue. But just because of your age or your seniority in your job or your position in your family or whatever it is that you feel like, I'm at the top, I'm the boss, I'm in charge, so I can say what I want to say. That's not true. Uh, we always have to have tongue control, and it's impossible um, to have tongue control without God's help. But if we have God's wisdom flowing into our hearts, that wisdom is going to come out of our mouths and it's going to tweak everything that we say and help to tighten what is very loose in our lips. Let's look at verse 9. With our tongue, with it we bless our Lord and Father. So he's talking about God and we have just praised God. If we went back and looked at the words that we have said this morning in worship, all of us together in singing, we have said, arise my soul, arise, shake off thy guilty fears. And then we have sung, the bleeding sacrifice in my behalf appears. Oh, there are some really rich words that we have sung. 
we have sung his robes for mine, a wonderful exchange. Clothed in my sin, Christ suffered neath God's rage. Just saying those again, and if you say hymns like that again and again, I looked at it when Arise My Soul, Arise was written. I think Charles Wesley wrote it in 1742. And how many generations of Christians have sung that song? And how many generations of Christians, that song is for those who are discouraged with the battle and discouraged with our position before Christ. And that song says, Arise, don't be discouraged. You have nothing really to focus on for being discouraged long-term as a Christian because we have this wonderful hope. We are secure in the presence of our God. So our tongue is powerful. And with our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father. But this passage isn't about blessing God, although we're supposed to. This tongue, he's telling, he's going to use a comparison here. He's going to show us how inconsistent we are with our speech. Verse 9 says, With our tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Old Testament says that we are made in the image of God. I heard it explained recently in a message that Satan can't do anything to attack God, so he goes after the people on earth who are the image of God. God's creation that are the image of God are people. This is what makes us believe that people are higher on earth than all the rest of God's creation. If you don't believe in creation, then we think, and a lot of people uh, theorize, that we as human beings are just elevated animals. Or we're just animals. But we're not. No chimpanzee has ever made an altar to worship. Animals don't desire to worship God. We are worshiping beings. We want to worship things. This is what makes our celebrity culture very popular, people in, in pop culture. We all want somebody to worship, some team to identify with. We want something to attach ourselves to, and you hear the term fan all the time. That's short for fanatic. I'm a fanatic about this sport, or this thing, or this thing, um, and I, we really need to be just fans of Jesus Christ. That needs to be our identity. We need to be fanatical about Christ as Christians. And if we are, we will bless the Lord and Father. But this passage continues and says, the same tongue is used to bless the Lord and Father, our God, as it should, but with it we also curse people. Opposite of blessing is cursing who are made in the likeness of God. So I talked with my kids about this last night and tried to figure out an illustration that would be helpful for us. So if you go back on my desk in my office, there's a picture of my wife. And it was uh, wedding. It was near our wedding. I think it was before our wedding. She had bridal pictures done. She has a picture of herself in a wedding, her wedding gown. And I have that on my desk. And if you come into my office, it's facing me, so you can't see it unless you go around to where I'm sitting. But if you, I'll, I'll, you can go in after church, go in there, look at my wife's picture. That's fine, okay? I should have had it on the screen, I forgot. Um, go in there, look at my wife's picture. She is very beautiful now. She's very beautiful then. It's a very good picture of her. That's why it's in a frame on my desk, okay? 
We have all played around. I saw yesterday my kids were playing around with their Apple products that makes it makes your nose big or makes your nose really small or distorts your face, and it's hilarious. I mean, when I when we found this on our computer that we got like eight years ago, we were playing with it nonstop, and it was like. We need to put this on Facebook. This is our family picture. Send us out at Christmas time. Like, here's our family picture and, and just goofy stuff. Um, those aren't good pictures. Those don't make it. Those, those funny pictures are hilarious, but those don't make it on Christmas cards. They don't make it on uh, calendars that we print, uh, and we print calendars for our family uh, on a yearly basis for Christmas. They don't make it there. Why not? Because they're not accurate representations of us. Okay. And if we have a choice, my wife controls it. If it was up to me to make the calendars, you know what I have on there. Okay. I would add the funny picture because that'd be hilarious for years to come. This is how we look, but that's not my choice and I get vetoed. That's okay. So those aren't good pictures. You know, every human being is made in the image of God to relate to God. We are relational beings. We sit around and we talk about things. Tonight we'll have a discussion around Daniel 3 and the fiery furnace. And then we're going to pray together. And then we're going to talk together and, and sing together some more tonight as, uh, as a church family. And we want to help each other to focus our attention on God and helps us to be like our Savior. But if we go without the knowledge of God and without putting knowledge of God in our hearts, we're eventually going to be trained to be something other than what God created us to be. God created us to reflect his glory to humanity. We are supposed to love like our God has loved us. We are supposed to talk as Christ would talk. How do we do that? without uh, the knowledge of God in us. But we forget that people are made in the image of God. You know what Satan's job to do is? His job is to accuse us before God. He's a liar. He's an accuser of the brothers. So he goes before the throne of God. And we just sang about before the throne of God, I have a strong and perfect plea. What's my strong and perfect plea before God's throne? Right next to God's throne is Christ. And he's what, what is he doing there? He's interceding for me. As I sin and as I have a loose lip and I say things that I shouldn't say, God rightfully could judge me and say, Fry needs to go. Get him off the earth. And Christ says, wait, wait, I, I paid for all of his loose lips. Every time he stumbles with his mouth, I paid for that sin. Satan's going to come, and Satan is not at the position where Christ is at, at God's right hand. Satan comes here in front of the throne and says, Hey, you see Fry? He's supposed to be a pastor. And he has used his tongue to tear people up. And he's going to accuse me. And that's what he does on a regular basis. He should have a model marriage. And sometimes he says things he shouldn't say about his wife. Yes. And sometimes he says things he shouldn't say to his kids. Yes. And sometimes he should... And he's just going to keep accusing me and accusing me. And then he's going to send demons my way and say, hey, you shouldn't be talking that way. Especially blasting people. And James is going to challenge us and say, you know what? The Holy Spirit's going to tell us that you cannot use your tongue. Well, you can. You should not use your tongue 
to bless our Lord and Father and curse people who are made in the likeness of God. People are not like squirrels or rodents or trees or grass. They're not like cars or houses. People alone are made in the image of God. And we need to think very, very long and carefully before we say anything negative about people. Now, God says negative things about people. There are prayers, imprecatory prayers in the book of Psalms, that are against people. If you're an Amalekite in the Old Testament, God would be against you because he had a curse on the Amalekites. So there is a time to, um, to pray sometimes, but we don't know who are enemies of God and who are not. Um, Paul was an enemy, the Apostle Paul was an enemy of the church, but he was still made in the likeness of God, and I think the most godly people in the book of Acts before Saul was converted were praying for his conversion, or they should have been. And the most ungodly people around us, we need to pray for them. We don't need to blast them. You say there is hardly anything. The, the image of God is so distorted to them, worse than Apple can do with twisting our faces or stretching our noses or whatever to make us not look like that. But I can still tell which one of my kids is who, even when they distort their faces. Like, okay, that's, that's still Will. That's still Brooklyn. And uh, I can still tell uh, that they're... But it's distorted. We need to, as Christians, think before we speak. God is perfect. All creatures, all humans, I'm sorry, human beings made in the likeness of God, all human beings are not perfect. So if perfection is what you and I say, I, someone's got to be perfect or I'm not going to praise them. And I'm not going to speak well of them. I'm not going to bless them, which is speaking good of someone. I'm not going to speak good of people unless they are praiseworthy. They have to earn my respect. No, that's not what God would say here to us through James. I struggle with this, especially when I'm driving. I have a very loose lips when I drive. I've noticed it. Now that I'm studying this while I'm driving, I'm like, oh, man, that person almost hit me. Where did they get their driver's license? Okay? And we say things, and we say things out loud at times. And you're like, okay, someone may be legitimately in a hurry. Okay, I'll give them that. I've been in a hurry before. We've all have been in a hurry before. Sometimes we just get so focused on what we have to do that I don't see any policemen around, so we're just going, and we got to go. And people are in my way, and I just got to get there. But we have to be very careful that we don't bless our God and Father and then curse people, say negative things about people, and this isn't, a, this isn't the passage to tell about all how, how to control our tongues with um, how, what, what cursing and blessing looks like. There's a lot else in Scripture, and if you want, uh, it's Ephesians 4, 25 to 32, gives us four laws of communication that we have studied uh, in Sunday school a couple weeks ago. Uh, but it's also very helpful that we don't lie, that we're current, that we're constructive instead of destructive, and that we're kind. And those laws of communication tells us how we need to talk like Christ. So what does James tell us about this inconsistency? The tongue is inconsistent. We need to agree with James. Yes, it is. 
Sometimes I bless God and I curse uh, people with the same breath or right after each other and sometimes before and after. It's not logical. Inconsistency is not logical and James is going to say that. You need to think about who you're cursing. If you are saying negative things about people who are made in the likeness of God, you are telling God that he made a mistake in making people. Now, I was really cruel as a kid, and probably most of us were. But if someone showed up with any deformity, a limp, or something they couldn't control, and you, they think, wow, their nose is disproportionately large for their face, you can get away with saying that in elementary school, junior high, maybe high school. That's extremely unkind and thoughtful. You may have heard that, but God made people with that particular nose. God formed it. So when you're making fun of someone and their physical features, you're making fun of their creator, and God takes it personally. You're making fun of someone's personalities. All of us are different. There are 7 billion different personalities on the earth. And the more people that come to our church, we have try to figure out how to function as a group. Well, we have all these different personalities. It's intentional that God puts us all together as a body because we need each other. But what will hurt us as a church is if we are talking negatively about other people. Sometimes we call that gossip. That's just one hurtful way to curse people. Sometimes it's lying. Sometimes I can't believe he did that. can't believe she said that. can't believe she'd wear that. I can't believe... And we just say things that we shouldn't say about people who are made in the likeness of God. So how do we need to look at people, even really, really ungodly people that we may be related to, that we may be living near or with? How do we not curse them? Well, I talked to someone recently who had a very tough home, and they said to me, um, there's always something positive to say about people and to think about someone, and my father was not a nice man, but I'm going to praise him for being a good provider. We always had food on the table. He was a hard worker, and so that's how I'm going to think about my dad. And that was the only thing he could think about that was positive about is that everything else was negative. Okay, so what are you going to focus on? This person is made in the likeness of God. Even if that's a very distorted image of God, we are responsible to bless people and not curse them. We have to bless them while we're blessing the Lord and our Father. That doesn't mean we don't rebuke people if they're sinning. That doesn't mean that we allow people to walk all over us and we just t grin and bear it. But we can. we have to think before we speak. And if our loose lips are getting us in trouble, it's likely that this inconsistency happens. And whenever I say I love God, but I don't like God's creation, I'm being inconsistent. Whenever I say I love God, but I can't stand his people, that's inconsistent. I cannot say I love my wife and I hate her picture. I can't say it. I love my wife and I love her pictures. Why? Because I love my wife. So we as human beings are the only part of God's creation that are made in his likeness. We need to learn to love our neighbor as ourselves, not just being content with loving God, but loving our neighbor. And that love for our neighbor should be here before it gets up to our loose lips. Because if there is hatred for our neighbor, 
vengeance for our neighbor, anything that is not loving, if it's here, it's going to come out of our loose lips eventually because we can't control our tongues. But if we say, God, I really struggle with loving this person, and it's obvious whenever it comes out of my mouth that I'm disobeying God, God, help me to control my tongue, but really I need to control my love. My love is my need, my love needs to grow for people that I'm related to. People in my church, people in my workplace, people that are in my neighborhood. God help my love for them to grow. But they play loud music and they do this and they're so annoying the way they chew gum or the way they sneeze or the way they do whatever and you can get so hung up on things that really annoy you with people that you can curse them while you should be loving them. In our tongues, it's not logical, but it's inconsistent. Our tongue is inconsistent. That's what James 9, 10a say. What does the end of verse 10 say? Well, verse 10 says, from the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. It's like we have this diverter in our mouth. We go to praise God and then we and we curse people. We're praising and blessing God because he's perfect and there's no one around us that's perfect, so they're, they're going to get a piece of our mind. Okay, that's not, that's not godly. And what does the end of verse 10 say? My brothers. So he brings us in like he's going to challenge, like a coach says, okay, guys, that was a bad game. Or like parents that come in and say, okay, this was really bad. What we just did here, oh, that was bad. Okay, so James, when he does this for us, when you see my brothers, it's like he brings us into a huddle and says, okay, guys, this shouldn't be. Okay, so look at verse 10. The end of verse 10 says, my brothers, these things ought not to be so. That's a very kind way of saying, you shouldn't be talking that way. Okay, so it's not logical inconsistency, and it's a necessary rebuke because we're inconsistent. We all struggle with inconsistent speech. And thinking that the person that I am talking negatively about is made in the image of God, no matter how distorted that image is, they are still made in the image of God and they deserve me to love them or they, God expects me to love them because of their creation. God made them in his image. And you can, you can really not like them. You can not want to be around them. But when you, have to, when you have to talk about them, it shouldn't be ungodly speech shouldn't be cursing them. All right, so that's a necessary rebuke for inconsistency. And then the na nature itself condemns inconsistency. We all love things that are consistent. I get in my car, I turn the key, and I really love it when my van starts right away. Like, yes, consistency. We love it. We just get used to it. We power up our phones, and yes, my phone works. We go to the Wi-Fi at our house, and yes, I'm online. We just like things that work. And nature is like this. Verse 11, does a spring. So if you're in a very dry place in the, in the world, which around Jerusalem, they needed to dig wells. So throughout the Old Testament, there was a lot of fighting and, and stuff over wells. And you'll see Isaac was constantly digging wells. And uh, in a very dry place on the earth, you had to dig wells to provide for yourself water. And if you found a well that produced some, it says, verse 11, does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Okay, here's a natural spring. You might see bubbles coming up. 
and you go there if, with your pitcher, and on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, it's fresh water, and on Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, it's salt water. So everybody goes, this is a natural spring. It doesn't happen. That's ridiculous. Okay? It's, it's like that. James is going to challenge us in saying, nature condemns inconsistency. You don't go to the ocean, put your head in the water, and drink deeply. Why? Because it's salt water. Blech. If you get that in your mouth, you spit it out. It doesn't quench your thirst. You may be sitting there baking in the sun on the beach, but you're not tempted to drink salt water. You may try it once. You're like, okay, learn my lesson. Don't drink salt. Bring water with you to the beach. The water, even though there's gallons of it out there, is not worth drinking because it's salt water. But if you have a fresh spring in your yard or you have a well that, uh, that gives you good-tasting water, you turn on your tap and you always expect fresh water to come out. And so nature condemns inconsistency. And then verse 12, can a fig tree, my brothers, now here he goes again with my brothers, can a fig tree, my brothers, really guys, think about it. Does a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Now we don't have a lot of, uh, of these plants, but we would say apple trees to this time of year. Does an apple tree produce oranges? No. This is probably kindergarten type level of education. Okay, Apple trees produce what? Apples. All the time. There's two apple trees out here. We never will find anything but apples on those trees because that is their nature to produce apples. I mean, it's a slight variation of taste or whatever, but it's always going to be an apple tree. So he says in verse 12, neither can salt can a salt pond yield fresh water? If you go to the ocean, you're always going to have salt water. Don't go to the ocean, put your jug of drinking water in there, fill it up, take it home, and be disappointed. So, what do we need to do because of our inconsistent tongues? We need to cry out to God in repentance. Every time we're inconsistent with blessing God and cursing people, that's a sin against God. That needs to be repented of. And we all struggle with this. Probably on a daily basis and probably multiple times every day we got to stop and say, I should not have said that about that person. I don't even know them. I shouldn't have said it about that. I do know them and I shouldn't have said that about them. We have so many options, to uh, opportunities to use our tongues to blast people while trying to bless God. Blasting people feels really good at times. Oh, man. I mean, if you, and we have YouTube videos. We have movies that we watch. And there are one-liners in those things. You're like, oh, i got to remember that so I can say that because that's a really good way to blast someone and sound intellectual and smart and make them look really dumb. Okay, well, that's inconsistent speech. We don't need to be good at blasting people. We need to be good at blessing God and blessing people. So cry out to God in repentance of our inconsistent speech, which is blasting people while trying to bless God. All right, so that's what we need to do. We need to repent. And then we also need to look at verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? 
Some scholars say that there is no, nothing more to say about the tongue here. But why? I'm going to ask myself this. Why does James put these verses here? Why is wisdom and understanding come right after 12 verses of the tongue? Why is it here? Because if I am unwise and without understanding, it will be obvious when I speak. And if I do have wisdom and understanding, it will show up right here. So other people can say, there is a wise and understanding person. And I'm going to say, how do you know he's wise and understanding? And they'll say, listen to him speak. Listen to him speak to children. Listen to him speak to older people. Listen to him speak to ungodly people, to godly people. Listen to him speak to all kinds of people. And a wise person knows what each of those different people need and can give it to them from his tongue. So consistency uh, and controllability that is necessary is is a mark of true wisdom. And so this is not a stretch to go from the tongue to wisdom because wisdom is showing up a lot and a lack of wisdom shows up a lot in how we speak. Okay, So we just have to be realizing repentance is required whenever I have... Um, Whenever I destroy people with my tongue, I have deadly poison coming out of my mouth, I'm cursing people, all those things that James 3 has talked about up to this point. So how do I get daily wisdom? Some people would say, well, James 1 verse 5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives to all liberally. That's partially true. We ask God for wisdom. Okay, so let me give you another question. How do you get wise on earth with anything, okay? Some of you are medical professionals. How did you become a doctor or a nurse? You ask God for the wisdom to become a doctor or a nurse, right? No, what did you do? You went to class after class after class and clinic after clinic and, and reading and research and, and practicums and all kinds of education before you've got a, a label after your name that guarantees that, okay, you should trust me because I've got this RN or MD after my name. That didn't happen overnight. Okay, so oh, that didn't work for medicine. How about it? Does it work for law? You want to be a lawyer? How do you become a lawyer? Just ask God for good arguing skills, right? And good knowledge of the law. No, you have to study and study and study and study and study, right? How do you become a pastor? Oh, I spent a lot of years in study and study and study and study. So how do you become wise? We just ask God for it. That sounds like the lazy way out. James 1 is talking about emergency wisdom. It's not talking about daily wisdom. Proverbs 2, let's go back there. That's what we read today. Let's go back to Proverbs 2 and see what we can learn about Proverbs. Now, James knows the book of Proverbs. I'll guarantee you that because he's a, a Jewish pastor. First century, he knows the Old Testament. He knows what's in the book of Proverbs, so what is in the book of Proverbs, James is able to teach based on what people should already know, and if they don't know the Old Testament, he's going to show them Proverbs 2, verses 1 through, and it goes beyond verse 11, but for sake of time, uh, we uh, just read down to verse 11. But I'm just going to look at the first couple verses. There's a lot of ifs. Okay, So wisdom is a conditional thing. If you have a new job... Your boss is going to tell you something like this. If you show up on time, if you learn the skills that are necessary for this job, 
if you don't wreck the company truck, if you, and he's going to give you a long list of ifs. If you answer the phone, if you're a receptionist, if you, he's going to give you ifs. If you do the, if you meet these conditions, then you'll have a job for a long time. Or then you'll get a raise. Oh yeah, that sounds good. And so it, there's a lot of if-thens in the world. And my teachers in school said, you know what? Here's the beginning of the semester. If you do these three, four, five things, you'll get a good grade in this class. That was really nice, but sometimes it's a lot of work. A lot of work. If you read a lot of books, oh, no. you got to stay awake while you read those too. Okay? It's hard. School is hard. But it produces knowledge that hopefully will translate into how to use that knowledge, which is wisdom. So how do we get daily wisdom from God so that we don't just wreck people around us with our tongue? We blast people while trying to bless God. How do we get daily wisdom to control our loose lips? Verse 1 of Proverbs 2. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you. I believe that's the same word treasure up that is used in Psalm 119 verse 11. Thy words have I treasured up in my heart that I might not sin against you. So we treasure up God's word so that it helps us to live. So receiving if you receive my word. So if, if Solomon's going to teach his son wisdom, he's got to make sure his son is paying attention. There's a no-brainer. You ever go to a class and the teacher says, if you don't pay attention, you'll do fine in this class. You're thinking, why do I even need this class? I can get whatever you're going to teach free online somewhere. I can get a degree from somewhere, that, the university of somewhere, and I can get a degree after my name, but I did no work for it. And no one should be trusting my degree if I didn't do any work for it. But you have to receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you. So this is how we get God's wisdom. We want to receive it. We want to value it. We revalue God's wisdom. And James is going to continue in James 3 to tell us why we should value God's wisdom versus earthly wisdom. We'll see that next week. Verse 2. If you make your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. So you have to desire it. Making your ear attentive is, oh, your ears perk up. If I could tell you how to, to a website to go to to get $100 real easy, you, you all be like, what? What website is that? I want to go try it this afternoon. Because $100 easy is like, wow, I want, I want that. But if I tell you I'm going to give you wisdom, you're like, yeah, <sighs> time to sleep. I don't need that. I don't need God's wisdom, but you do. Wisdom is more valuable than $100. It will help you control your loose lips. So you have to desire it. You have to receive it. You have to, ear has to be attentive to it. You have to incline your heart to understand. So we naturally are lazy. We naturally like foolish things. If I want to learn something that's hard, I have to say, heart, you have to learn this. This, our, our income depends on it. My job depends on it. You say, I don't like this part of my job. Well, you need to change your want to, my mom would say. How do you change your want to? Well, you incline your heart to it and say, you know what? I don't really like this, but I have to do it. Okay, it's just part of the job. Verse three, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding. So there is, a, is the asking. Um, you're asking God for wisdom. You put yourself in a position to want to learn, 
you asking for it. Then verse 4, if you seek it like silver. You know silver is never found on top of the ground like gold. Silver is only found in a mine. You have to dig for it. If you want really good wisdom from God, you have to search his word for it. You can't just rely on what I tell you, what your teachers tell you, what your parents tell you. You have to search for it yourself. So you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasure. We all would love to have a map show up in the wall of our house when we're renovating. Like, oh, wow, pirates used to live here and they buried treasure in my backyard. Here's a map of how to get to it. Like, yeah, your whole backyard would be dug up if you really thought it was pirate buried treasure. And it was yours if you could find it in your backyard. You'd be renting excavators and all kinds of stuff and digging, digging, thinking, I'm going to find this. And it's not going to be, I am done in five minutes. No, you might be five days and five weeks and five years. And like, oh, well, maybe, I'll, maybe I had the map turned over. And, and you're, you're convinced that there's actually hidden treasure there. This, there is a lot of hidden treasure right here. And you have to go searching for it. It's not going to take five minutes or five weeks or five years to find all the, the wisdom that's here, but it's here. Is it more valuable than money to you? Well, verse 4 ends with the ifs, and, it's, and then it gives us the thens. Verse 5, then you will understand the fear of the Lord, and then you will find the knowledge of God. So knowledge of God and fear of God go together. We've talked about in Sunday school, we started the life of Joshua, and Joshua learned to fear God as a young man. That put him on a path of making wise choices. I cannot give you the fear of God. I would love to have a pill that we take, like, here's the fear of God. Oh, there's a, a wrath of God, isn't it? That's a, a hot sauce. Uh, that's not exactly what we're thinking of either. I can't give you, you can't take the fear of God in a pill. You can't take it in a drink. You can't get it from someone else. You get it whenever you study God's word and you search for God. And when you and I see God and his power, then you'll fear him. Is there enough stories in scripture to convince you that God should be feared? Absolutely. Let's just start with Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. You try it. Try creating light. Can't do it. Go in your dark basement, in your dark closet, and just say, let there be light. You won't, you won't do it. Let there be an earth. Let there be stars. Billions and billions of stars. Just by speaking. Just in Genesis 1, there is enough there to cause all of us to fear God. And if you don't fear God, look at Genesis 6. God said it's time to destroy the earth. He had enough water stored in the earth, so when the fountains opened, it covered the earth in a very short amount of time, and everyone was, that was not in the ark died. And it could have been the population that lives right now on the earth. If you don't fear God then you just keep going story after story after story after story in the Bible. 
And there's enough stories of all different types of miracles and the display of God's power that we all should conclude God should be feared. And if you don't fear him, you will never find wisdom, God's wisdom. You won't. Because Proverbs 1 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The path to find God's wisdom is found the very gate of the path, so to speak, where you start down the path of learning God's wisdom. The gate says the fear of the Lord. If you won't fear God, you can't learn it. You can't grow in it. So we study. We get daily wisdom by studying, asking, seeking, and there's one more thing. Verse 6, for the Lord gives wisdom. The best wisdom on the face of the earth comes from the almighty God, the all-knowing God who knows everything about human, everything about the universe, everything about galaxies we've never even discovered. God knows everything about everything. And God gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom. That's the really good stuff. The really good wisdom. Who does he give it to? In verse 7. He gives it to the upright. He gives it to the upright. That means you obey. Now, if God's going to give you wisdom, let's say you train your son or daughter how to drive. There's very few parents that can financially afford uh, a really $90,000 Corvette for their 16-year-old. People that give their 16-year-old Corvettes, I'm not sure they're all thinking. But if they are, okay, you're in this position. If you give your son or daughter the keys to a $90,000 Corvette and say, this car's got a lot of power, you're going to have a lot of fun. Happy birthday. Yeah! All of you parents are saying, no way! I drove a minivan, and that was not that was the opposite end of the cool spectrum and the power spectrum of, of, uh, of cars. You know why I got a minivan? Because my parents weren't sure I was upright. They weren't sure how I was going to drive. They weren't sure that I had control from my heart and my head and my lead foot. They weren't sure I had the wisdom to know how to control a $90,000 Corvette. And there are very, very, very few, if none, 16-year-olds that have enough wisdom to know how to control a $90,000 Corvette. So I have to obey the speed limit if you have this really cool car. Well, that's really hard, especially when you got a friend in there. And you're like, hey, let's see how fast this car will go. And this car will go. Zero to 60 in like three seconds. You're like, whoa. No, minivan does that. <laughs> but God's not going to give wisdom to those who are foolish, those who won't obey. It's like finding hidden treasure, something extremely valuable, and you give it to someone who's going to blow it in a matter of months. You know, most, most lottery winners, after five, ten years, the studies say, are back to where they were before, or worse. Why? Because they weren't wise. They got all this treasure but didn't know how to use it, and it's gone. You can have 
some wisdom, but God saves sound wisdom, it says, for those who will walk in that wisdom. And if you don't believe me, look at verse 7 again. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. God is a shield to those who walk in integrity. He guards the path of justice. He watches over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity in every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. You'll know what to do. You'll know what to say. It's from your heart because out of your heart speaks your mouth. And verse 11, and discretion will watch over you and understanding will guard you. My parents would never allow me to use their car unless they thought I would use it wisely and obey their rules. They would say, don't squeal the tires because you're not buying the tires we are. If you want to light them up, and this was not a minivan, it's a different car, but if you want to light them up and, and show off to your friends, you're going to pay a couple hundred bucks for these new tires. If you don't want to buy new tires, don't light them up. Okay, yeah, all right. If they thought I was going to light them up all the time, they wouldn't let me use the car. That's just wisdom. God has this sound wisdom he will give to you if you will use it to walk uprightly. So how, what do we need to do? Let's go back to James 3, and we'll conclude here. James 3, verse 13, what's it tell us about wisdom? And what did we learn about wisdom? You will only get daily good, sound wisdom if you study God's word and you're looking for God. What would God do if he was me? What would Christ say if he was in my situation, married to my spouse, having my kids or my parents or my boss, or if he's driving in my car and someone cuts him off? What would he say? I will only know how to answer that if I study and study and study and study to know who God is. He's a God who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Yeah. We see that over and over again as we study God's word. James 1 has already told us a little glimpse of how of what we need how we need to think. That we every verse 19, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Why? Because our tongue's hard to control. Because we're not going to produce God's righteousness if we just say what comes to our mind when we, we just react all the time. And we're not going to get God's wisdom that will control our loose lips unless we study who God is, unless we ask him for wisdom, unless we seek it as we seek hidden treasure, unless when, and then whenever God shows us wisdom and what he expects us to do, we're willing to do it. We're willing to obey. Then you will understand God and understand how your tongue needs to be controlled by the Almighty God. And your heart needs to be constantly fed God's wisdom, the knowledge of God, the fear of God, because whenever I fear God, I speak differently. Whenever I love God, I speak differently. Whenever I am thinking about pleasing God with what I say, I speak differently. And you do too. Our tongues should be controlled by our wisdom, which is the knowledge of God from our heart. So what does James 3.13 tell us? 
Who is wise and understanding among you? Now, if I said that to a group of people, you'd say, I want to be wise. I want to be understanding. I want to make wise choices. I want to understand how things work in life, and I want to make the best choices. That's what wise people do. They look at all their options and say, this is the best, and this is why it's the best. I've eliminated the not-so-good choices. This is the best choice. And life is not always just multiple choice. We've got to come up with sometimes short answer or fill in the blank. And I hated tests that were like that, but the teachers that were wise gave me tests like that because they said, you know what? Life's not multiple choice. Life's fill in the blank. You have to know... If you know the material well enough, fill in the blank's not a problem. So what's the, here's the question, you fill in the blank. Then we'll really know if you know the answer. And a lot of life is fill in the blank, and God gives us all the resources we need for life and godliness in the knowledge of Christ. So we study. We ask, we seek, and we obey God. Verse 13 of James 3 says, Who is wise? and understanding among you, by his good conduct, by his lifestyle, by how he speaks, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. I believe that their wisdom is informing the works, and wisdom is how we respond. What is meekness? You may have another a, a note that says humility. If you give a proud person knowledge, it will go right to their head, and their head will get really big. If you get a humble person knowledge, they'll think, okay, I need to use this. How do I need to use this? That's what God's going after here. Okay, We realize we all have loose lips. We don't have the wisdom to control these loose lips, so we're getting this, we have to get this wisdom from somewhere. This wisdom that's daily going to control our tongue is going to come from God as we study, ask, seek, and obey Him. And then we live our knowledge of God in every decision, every speech, everything we say, every time we talk. We need to live our knowledge of God. You hear just one, one thought in closing. If you and I think, I will stand before God and give an account of everything I say, a God who knows all things, that will help tighten your lips. That gives you knowledge that should play out in wisdom. I can't just say what I want to say. No, you can't as a Christian. Because your tongue is so destructive and deadly, and so you have this world of iniquity that's open to you. you can, it has all kinds of deadly poison, and all of our tongues are the same, and we can't control them, and we're inconsistent, we frustrate people around us. Yes, we cry out to God for help, and then we study to know our wise God. Christ is wisdom in human form. We study our Bibles. We know our wise God. And then we live what we know with every decision. And this requires humility. Because anything good that comes out of my mouth is not me that did it. What have we learned in James 1? Anything bad that comes out of my mouth, it's my fault. Anything good that comes out of my mouth, God gave me the gift. God gave me the control. My mouth is loose. I have a loose lip. Any control that comes in this tongue right here is God's glory. It's God's doing. And God gets the glory because I am not naturally humble. None of us are. And if I have this meekness or humility of wisdom, 
That's a gift of God as well. So then God gets all the glory. And if we can think this way, okay, I have struggles with my tongue. I need God's wisdom. God will give me that wisdom to use. And if he shows me his wisdom, then I will use it for his glory. He will give you sound wisdom, the really good stuff that will help control your tongue. Let's pray. Our Father, we realize that we struggle so much to control our tongues. We offend so many people so often, so easily. We don't even have to think to sin against people with our tongues. I pray that you'd control our tongues. Help us to cry out to you because we can't control them and repent when we have a lack of control. Help us to study your word. Help us to know who you are, that you're a God who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and you won't always um, rebuke us and chide with us, strive with us, but you will forgive. And I pray that you would help us to show uh, others what you are like. This is why you created us. This is why you redeemed us. I pray that our tongues would catch up to what we know and that our tongues would be controlled by your wisdom and by your spirit. And I pray that out of our mouths would come love and joy and peace and long-suffering and goodness and uh, faithfulness and kindness and self-control so that you receive glory and you can use us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.